0: I want to put in a plug for the truth project, I'm on mute, I'm off mute, there we go, sorry I've seen people doing stuff and I was thinking I was but I thought I had touched it and Just didn't touch it enough. That's what was screwing up my brain. I was watching everybody saying stuff, and I was like, what's going on there? (laughs) Thought they were talking about me, and they were. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Cowboy Church will be coming up here in another week or so. Don't forget about that. We're going to have a good time. We're going to be doing some special things as we come to the end of the summer. Uh, I'll unveil some of that next week, what exactly we're thinking about, um, just for a special Sunday. But uh, just good to be in the house of the Lord. Good to see each one of you. We're going to have our baby dedication now. Let me talk to you about a baby dedication while we're getting ready to do this. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. I want to just draw your attention to a verse. There is nothing in the scripture that commands the church to dedicate children to the Lord, to have a specific service or a time in which that is done. There are things that the church is commanded to do, correct? We're to propagate the gospel. We are to celebrate together the ordinances of the Lord. Many other things that are commanded outright in Scripture. But I think by good and necessary inference in the Scripture, we can deduce that it is an important role of the church to be involved in the lives of families and the raising of children. And as the Lord blesses a home uh, with a new little life, as that life is coming to the Lord and coming into the church, it is important for us, I believe, to take a minute and to just with that mother and father, grandparents who are going to come up here as well as a church, unite our hearts around them and pray and give that life to the Lord. When we do so, I, I, I like to always remind ourselves what we're doing. What we're doing specifically, what, what I wanted us to do as a church, as a people, as we gather, is to pray specifically for the salvation of these children. That, Lord, that the Lord would save them. That in His time, and in His plan, and in His will, He will bring each of these children to the place of understanding the gospel, That they will individually repent of sin and trust Him as Lord and Savior. These kids that are being raised in this church, and this place is full of them, isn't it? It's a good thing. These kids have one leg up on most of the rest of the kids in the world because they are being raised in a place where they're hearing the gospel from a childhood. Nevertheless, and if you're a parent, you know this, right? Your kids are sinners. You see this from the beginning of their life. We know this about ourselves, that we are sinners. We need a Savior. Being born into this church does not automatically save anyone. They must individually accept Christ. So we want to pray for them. We also want to pray for the parents as a church, that these parents will dedicate their lives intentionally to bring these children up. And this is why I wanted you to look in Ephesians chapter 6. And I know all you kids are there, and I ain't going to preach a sermon now, but I want you to notice how the chapter begins, kids. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? It's right. This is Right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. It's not the first commandment, is it? It's not the first commandment. It is the first commandment with a promise. What is that promise? That it may go well with you. That you may live a life of blessing, living long in the land. And then he says this, he directs us to fathers. There again, through the father to the mother. Parents, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And so we are praying for these parents that they will truly dedicate themselves to this task to bring up their children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And then we're praying for us as a church that we can surround these little ones' lives that each of us, as we contribute into their life as a part of the body of Christ, may do so in a way that helps bring them to Christian maturity and fruitfulness in the Lord. So having said that, parents, those of you that have little ones that you want to dedicate to the Lord, come on up here at this time. If you're a grandparent and you want to come with these parents, we can get a crowd up here. We'll be okay. And then I also want all the men on the board to come on up. All you men on the board that are here, don't have all the men on the board here today. As many of you as are here, come on up. And Matt, we're going to need your mic. And I'm going to go around and I'm going to have parents introduce their kids to you. And then, having done that, I'm going to ask uh, Keith to uh, lead us in a word of prayer together. Let everybody get up here. I'm going to start over here while everybody else is getting up here. I'm going to start with Jonathan. Introduce you and your wife and your baby. Is that thing on? We all are a little bit challenged when it comes to turning on buttons here, I think. Go ahead, John. John OK, thank you. is Luke. JR, why don't you introduce?
1: Yeah. this is Weston.
0: And then this is Steve and Cindy, who are grandparents to both. (laughs) And this is Dave and Valerie, who are grandparents here. What a blessing to have two sets of grandparents um, to be able to be in the life. Okay, then Ty. Um, My name is Tyler. This is Grace and Thaddeus and Benai. And the grandparent is standing before you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) and this is my wife Liz, and this is our daughter Naomi, Sarah Dawson, and these are Liz's parents here next to us, and my grandparents are standing
2: here Awesome. Okay, then I'll give this to Jake and Jake. Uh, Jake and uh, Sharon and and this is our daughter Clark. Okay. Okay.
0: Okay, thank you. What I want to do is do something a little bit different than what we've done in the past. And that is, I want us just as leaders in the church. I was thinking of this how in scripture it talks about how Paul says of Timothy. talks about how the church had laid hands on him, even from a youth. And what I want to do is us that are in the leadership, I want us just to go to the, the little ones that are being dedicated and not in any... Weird kind of way, but just as an act, an official act of the church, laying our hands on these babies, on these children, asking God will honor this prayer, and then I'm going to ask Keith to pray, and um, and then following that, Keith's going to do scripture reading, and um, we'll just continue along with the service. So Matt, you want to come up? You want to do? I'm going to do
2: banaya? Our Father in Heaven, I thank you for bringing these children to us. I thank you for these parents, and their commitment and dedication to raising their children up in your ways. Thank you for the public profession. But Lord, this body is a family, and I pray that we would all commit and dedicate ourselves not only to these children today that are before us, but to all of our children that we would bring them up as a body of believers, as a family in your name in in destruction of your ways. And I pray that uh, you would hear our prayer, you would bless these families, and that you would uh, secure these children to you, that they would come up and they would commit themselves to you, that they would understand the gospel, that they would accept you as their Lord and Savior. Again, I thank you for their parents, and their grandparents, and you know, the education and admonition to come. We say things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's do cat
0: catechism. we I forget to do the catechism in here. Let's do a catechism. Go on, if we got it? Question 29. I'm, like I said, I'm challenged with buttons. I've to turn on the power. Let's see if we got it. Okay, there we go. Let's do question 29, and then we'll do question 30 as well. How are we made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ? We are made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ, by the effectual working of it to us by the Holy Spirit. Question 30. How does the Spirit apply to us the redemption purchased by Christ? The Spirit applies to us the redemption purchased by Christ by working faith in us and thereby uniting us to Christ in our effectual calling.
2: The reading will be Psalm 19 this morning. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words the acceptable in your son, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May God bless the reading of this holy word. I'm
1: going to ask you to stand as we sing together. Come, now is the time to with glory and praise to
0: Bibles and turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Before we read the scripture together, let's turn our eyes to the Lord and look to Him in a word of prayer. Lord, when we take time to worship you in song, to lift your praises, to acknowledge to you who you are, what you've done, the glory of your person, the love, the love that prompted you to come to die on that cross that we sang of this morning. Lord, we want to see you this morning in the pages of your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit would open your word to us in such a way that having worshiped you in your word, We would leave here changed. I do ask, Holy Spirit, that you, knowing each one of us individually who are here, you know our our lives, you know our problems, you know our, our victories this past week, that you would apply your word to each of us as an individual. That if there's someone here that does not know Christ, that, Holy Spirit, you would reveal Christ to them in the pages of your word today, that they may do exactly what we have been seeing in this chapter, that they would call upon you, that they would be saved. For us as a church, may we understand and realize why we are here. The task that you have left to us, the responsibility you have given to us, And may we have confidence and boldness, Holy Spirit, to yield ourselves to you, to walk in you, that you might use us. Oh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've been going through Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, we've been talking about the sovereignty of God and salvation. That is all set in the context of God's relationship with Israel. This week we will finish chapter 10. Next week we will be moving into chapter 11 where once again the nation of Israel is going to uh, figure very prominently in our study. Today we kind of bring this section to a close. We've been talking about how in the sovereignty of God, and there again I want to set that in in the context of God's sovereignty that it is in the sovereignty of God that God chose to impart faith to us through His Word. It is through His Word. And so we will see this again in the verses that we study. He says, faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? The Word of Christ. So God has chosen in His sovereignty that it is the Word of God as it is proclaimed, as it is read, as it is studied, that it imparts to us faith. You want to grow in your faith? Do you struggle with faith at times? We all do. How do you deal with those struggles of faith? You go to the Word. You go to the Word. Secondly, we have been looking in the verses that we are now studying at the reality that God in His sovereignty has chosen to use means to bring the gospel to people. The means is you and I. And so after having told us in verse 13, "...whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved," he then asks a question. And he goes into a series of rhetorical questions where the answer is assumed. And he says in verse 14, how then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in Him of Him whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone proclaiming, without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. And then he quotes from Isaiah 53. We love Isaiah 53, right? Where he talks about the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. And it's all prophetic of what Christ would do when He came. And that chapter begins with a question. Who has believed what we have said? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And then he goes into that chapter. For he shall grow up like a tender plant as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form nor appearance that we should desire him. And when we shall see him, we will think of him posh. Who is that? He is a man who is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Oh, we like sheep. We have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and yet the righteous Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. But who has believed that message? Who has believed what we have reported? Who has believed what we have proclaimed? And then he goes on, And he says, so faith comes. So faith comes. I love to watch this. I have seen it many times in the lives of some of you who are here and some who have gone before. You come to us full of questions. You come to us with kind of a, I'm not sure about this thing kind of attitude and you're just sitting here. Some of us are men who get drugged in here by her ear or by our wife. Some of us come as kids. And we get to drug church too, right? When we're kids a lot of times. We sit on a pew. And we hear it. We hear it. And we hear it. And you know what? Some reject it. I've seen this. And it tells us in 1 John chapter 2, they go out from us, for they were never of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But others hear it. And all of a sudden, it's like the light starts to get turned off. And I can always tell the difference. I can always see the change. And here's where the change is all of a sudden, there is a hunger for this. So faith comes by hearing, not the words of man, but hearing the word of Christ. And then he says, but I ask, have they not heard? You say to me, what about these people that live in Papua New Guinea? What about the people who live in a garbage dump in Thailand? The tens of thousands of them. Have they not heard? That's a good question. So what does he say? I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. What have they heard? For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask... Did Israel not understand? First, Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, those who, as we've seen already in this study, have been given so much. and I don't want to play fast and loose with the text, but I almost think we could put America there. We've heard so much, and we've had so much. Of Israel, of America, he says, all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a people who are disobedient and contrary. And that's America. We'll talk about Israel more next week as we go into chapter 11. What I want to do is I want to finish this section by talking about the means that God uses to impart faith. And as we do so, we're really going to look at three things in the message. I I I want us to look at the mandate, which is we are told to go, and so the church must send. We talked about this a lot last week, so we'll do so just very briefly today. We'll talk about the church's method, which is to proclaim Jesus. We'll talk about the message, which is Jesus. That's our message. What did Paul say? When I came to you, I didn't come with a bunch of flowery words and eloquent speech. I just came with a message Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So there's a mandate, there's a method, there's a message. We've set that in a context, a context of three lies that we are prone to believe about the gospel. We are prone to believe this first lie that we talked about last week, which is that since God is sovereign, if he wants to save somebody, he'll just do it. He doesn't need us to go and say, and say anything. And that's a lie. God has prescribed means to the conversion of the lost. The means by which he has prescribed their salvation is for somebody to go and to tell them. We also talked about another lie associated with this, which is, you know, where we just kind of think, oh yeah, I'm going to go someday, I'm going to be sent, and I'm going to do big things for Jesus, and then we sit on our duff here and do nothing. And... We talk about this this way. We're not going to do later. We're not going to do somewhere else what we don't do here. What we don't do now. If we're faithful now, if we're doing things now, he that is faithful in little will be faithful in much. So if I want God to use me, don't just look down the road and say, someday I'll do big things for God. Start doing something for God now. The third lie is the one we're going to talk about, and it is just this lie that we always have in our mind, which is if only we had a better way, if only we had a better method, people would believe, people would turn, people would be saved, or churches would be full. If only we had a better method, and that's a lie. You know, people are always looking for a better way, but God is just looking for better people, people who are yielded, people who are intentional, people who are willing to have a conversation with a friend, and so this is what we study today. Now, in a way, we can also say in these verses there's an order of salvation and he goes from back to front. It's not the order of salvation as God works it out from eternity past to eternity future in election and glorification and everything that happens in between. What we see here is an order of salvation from man's perspective. So someone confesses him, someone calls, but they can't call until they believe. And they can't believe in Him if they haven't heard of Him. And they can't hear of Him unless somebody tells them and proclaims the name of Jesus. And the person that is going to proclaim can't proclaim unless they've been sent. And so there's kind of an order that develops here in the text. There's also something I want to really draw your attention to for a minute here. And it is a quote from the passage that Keith read this morning in Psalm 19. I want you to notice this. He says in verse 17, faith comes from hearing. Hearing through the word of Christ. And so I ask, have they not heard? past tense have they not heard already and what does he say indeed they have what is he telling us here go with me in your bible to Psalm 19 I want you to look at this I'm going to put some of the words up here but I want you to look at Psalm 19 Psalm 19 is one of my favorite psalms in the bible In Psalm 19, we have a development of two great themes. One, at the beginning, this is all about God's revelation. When I use the word revelation, I'm not talking about the book of Revelation. I'm talking about the fact that God reveals himself to us, that we could not know him unless God had revealed himself to us. God has done so in two ways. One, we call general revelation. One, we call specific revelation. Specific revelation is this book. It is written words, and it is very specific, isn't it? It is Okay. the specific revelation of God. In this chapter, he talks about the specific revelation. What is it? The law of the Lord is perfect. And what does it do? It converts the soul. It's more to be desired than what? All the money in the world. This book is more to be desired in your life than all the money you can make. And what is it? It's sweeter than honey. By it, we are warned, and in keeping its promises, we are what? Greatly rewarded. When he asks this question, have they not heard? He does not go to the second half of Psalm 19, talking about God's written word. In this passage, he quotes from Psalm 19, verse 1, when it says, and let me just, before you start reading, does the Word of God declare the glory of God? Yes, it does. But what else declares the glory of God? The heavens. Man, it's a bummer to have all this smoke, isn't it? Because you can't even hardly see the stars. I'd love to go out and look at the stars at night. i go out, right before we go to bed, either Amy or I got to go shut in the chickens. And we're usually going out there about dark, and the stars are just starting to pop. Now, in the winter, we're usually a little bit cold and a little bit snow when it's a little bit dark earlier, so they get shut in, you know, when it's really dark. But I'd love to go out there at night, I lock up the chickens, And usually, before I hurry back to the house, I just stop for a minute and I get my bearings with the different stars. But I don't worship the stars. I look at them and I say, Oh God, how great you are! The heavens are declaring, Glory to God! My friend, that is what the stars are singing. That is what the mountains and the rocks and the rills proclaim. Glory to God. The sky proclaims, "Yoo-hoo, yoo-hoo! This is what the sky is telling us. yoo We didn't just come by chance. yoo We are the work of His hands." Day after day, think about this. Day after day, they are pouring out this speech. They did it when the wagon trains came across the plains. They still do it today. No technology takes it away. Technology can rob the message from us because we just sit there in the front of the big blue idol. Right? Getting that blue haze in our brain. What we need to do sometimes is just turn that stuff off and listen to this voice. Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night what are they communicating? Knowledge. What are they saying? When you look at the stars, when you look at the heavens, when you look at the animal kingdom, when you look into creation, it is communicating to you and I that knowledge omniscience designed it. That is what is communicated. There is no speech. Notice verse 3. Because this goes with where we're going in just a second again in chapter 10. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Nevertheless, what? Their message has gone out to the entire earth and their words have gone to the end of the world. Here's the point. The first evangelist that every person hears is the stars and creation. That is the first evangelist that everyone hears Paul is drawing our attention to that have they not heard yes they have that would really draw us back into Romans chapter 1 you don't have to go there this morning just because of time but in Romans chapter 1 he talks about that thought right that the heavens are proclaiming this voice and yet what does man want to do We want to change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like unto animals or other things. And we want to exchange the truth of God for a lie. And yet in creation, there is communicated a very clear and consistent message. We are the work of his hands, And God is a God of might. There is that consistent message. The evangelist, and he says this in Romans chapter 1, that leaves every person on the planet without excuse is what God has created. The first evangelist everyone hears is that voice second point from that is this. What you do with that voice will determine if you hear the next one. If you worship an idol, and you set that idol up in your heart, and you bow down before it, you may never hear the name of Jesus. You may hear that name And it may never penetrate that heart. Why? Because you heard that voice and you did not receive the light that you were given. But if you receive the light that you are given, God will make sure you get more. And I will demonstrate that to you in a minute. So, having said that, it is very important we understand this. Although the church has a responsibility to go everywhere on the globe and pronounce the name of Jesus to every person, nevertheless, every person has heard enough of the message to render them without excuse before the judgment bar of God. We still are responsible to do this. Now, let's go on. Let's talk about this mandate. Let's talk about this method that we are given and the message, and we'll do so pretty quickly, and then we'll close. What is our mandate? Jesus said, Matthew 28, Jesus had the disciples come and meet him at a mountain in Galilee. He says to them, oftentimes we begin with this part of this mandate. Go into all the world, make disciples, and baptize them. How did Jesus begin? All authority is what? Given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. Why does he draw our attention to that? We don't go in our own authority. our good friend in this church who is a highway patrolman named Austin. If he pulls you over and he has a conversation with you when you have to roll down your window and everybody goes by that knows you and waves, isn't that so annoying in Star Valley? Whenever you get pulled over, everybody you know goes by. He doesn't come up and say, I'm Austin. I'm here to give you a ticket. He comes in whose authority? The authority of the state. He is not there as a private citizen doing his own will. He is there as a man under authority. And in that authority, he acts. When you and I go and we share Jesus, we don't go as private citizens. We don't go in our own name. We go in whose name? the name of Jesus, and it is His authority, and it is under His authority that we act. Remember that the next time you are scared to tell someone the gospel. It's not about you and I doing it. It is His authority. And we do so under Him. We are to go. So if we are to go, then He says in these verses, the church is to send. There again, I want to stress this to you. This sending, at times, can be an official act of the church. 99% of the time, you know what it is? It's us saying to you, go out into Star Valley, you are sent. Right? You are sent. You are sent to your neighbors, to your families, to those that you know, to those that you work with. You are sent. But the church is what sends. We are sent with a method. We are sent with a message or with a method. What is this method? We are to proclaim Christ. We are to proclaim Him. Now, there are two words that are used to proclaim here. One is this first Greek word, karux, it just means to announce or to expound. Many times it's used for kind of this official thing that is done as a part of the church where we have a sermon, we have a message, someone preaches to us. It just means proclamation. And I'm not going to bring a sermon to you about what a sermon is or what preaching is today. But there is an official role within the church. Paul says twice in his epistles, I was ordained a preacher. But it's bigger than that, okay? And we'll talk about that in a minute. There's also another word here, "euangelizo," which means to proclaim good news. It means to proclaim the good news. Uh, this word also has a noun form, which is av- the word "evangelist." What is an evangelist? It is a person who proclaims good news. It is the person who does it. I'm talking about good news. Now. <coughs> For most of human history, the way news was disseminated was not in a newspaper and it wasn't in the internet. Kids, there was a day before the internet existed. There weren't always iPhones. Before all of that, you even go back to colonial America in the village, or in the town, there would be this person that was called the town crier. And he just stood on the corner, and he, a lot of times he had a bell that he would ring. And then he would just announce the news. He would proclaim the news. It's interesting how we are today. You know, if someone stands on a street corner and rings a bell and proclaims the news, we think of him as a nutcase. Right? But if someone is on a screen and in a suit, sitting behind a desk, telling us the news we think they got to be true. (laughs) How wacky is that? I mean, you know, but that's that's our world today. But, you know, so the town crier today is the news feed on the side of your phone or wherever you go to get your news. I hope that's not where you go to get your news. You, of course, know that that's all, you know, done up for you personally because they know the kind of stories you want to hear or at least the kind of stories they want you to hear, and all that kind of stuff. We won't go there. (laughs) The town crier. This is the picture. How does the church proclaim? We do it a lot of ways. We do it when we sing. We do it when we sing. Sing. That's what I'm saying, is when we sing, sing. Okay? Because people come in here who maybe haven't been to church, they're not used to going somewhere a lot of times where people just stand, looking at no one, and just singing. They go to a concert and they hear a performance. But they don't go to anything in their life where people just come into a room and sing to an unseen being. And then tell that unseen being, I love you. Thank you for what you've done in my life. I worship you. In the singing, we proclaim something. When we celebrate the Lord's table, we proclaim him till the Lord comes. When we baptize someone, we proclaim him. We remember his death, his burial, his resurrection. We proclaim Him formally in the preaching of the Word, and we do so privately many times. Let me draw your attention to things. Second Corinthians chapter 4 says this, For we do not proclaim ourselves. What do we proclaim? Jesus Christ is Lord. That's our message. Ourselves? What are we? Your servants. Notice this. I want to draw your attention to a story in Acts chapter 8, and we'll bring this to a close. Before Paul is Paul, he is Saul. And as Saul, he was a what? Pharisee who is a persecutor of the church. Stephen has had his brains battered out with some rocks. He's dead. The church is scattered, and everywhere they go, they are preaching the message of good news, Ioan Galitzo. One of the early deacons was a man named Philip. He goes to a city in Samaria. Now, what do the Jews think of the Samaritans? We won't go into that much this morning. They don't think very highly of them. But Philip understands what the gospel is all about. It's not just for other Jews. It's also for people that aren't too well liked. They go to Samaria. What does he do? He proclaims. He proclaims the Messiah to them. There are crowds. They pay attention to him with one mind. They hear this message, they see the signs he is performing, because unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, come out of many who were possessed, many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there is great joy in the city. What is he doing there? He is standing in front of a bunch of people, and he is telling them all about Jesus. He is also working signs, as an apostolic envoy and many are converted. That's a good day. I mean, I, I think he probably liked that. Right? He probably went home pretty pumped up. That was a good day. What happens? An angel of the Lord comes to Philip. He says, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And he puts it in parentheses so we understand this if we don't live there. This is not a pretty place. This is not like going to an oasis. This isn't like, oh, good, man, I get to go to Yellowstone in the summer. Definitely not the winter. This is a what? Desert road. And there aren't many people there. He's leaving the crowds. So he got up and he went. There was an Ethiopian man there who was a eunuch. He is a high official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. He is in charge of her entire treasury. This man had come to worship in Jerusalem. He was sitting in his chariot. He is on his way home, and he is reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit tells Philip, listen to the spirit, by the way. I'm not not saying that in like a goofy way. I'm saying that like in a real way. When you're going through your day and the Spirit nudges you to go talk to someone, listen. Go and join that chariot. Now, Philip, before we go any further, is an individual in the desert road. This guy is a very wealthy man in a chariot, no doubt. He has bodyguards. He is in charge of the entire treasury. Philip's probably like, you want me to go talk to that guy? He goes. The eunuch replied to Philip. Did I hit two? No. The eunuch replied to Philip. I ask you, who is this prophet saying this about, himself or another person? So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus. What? Beginning at that scripture. That's his message. Is Jesus. Faith comes by hearing what? The word about Christ. So Philip starts at this verse that this guy is reading in Isaiah 53. And from that verse... He runs to Jesus. What happens in the rest of the story is this man then says to Philip, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? What does Philip say? If you believe in your heart, you can. Our mandate is to go. Our method is to proclaim. Our message is Jesus. We proclaim him through our lives and our love. Think about one verse in the Gospels, and then I'll be done. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says one day to them, whoever gives a glass of cold water to a little child, His reward will not be forgotten. Did I leave something out? I did. I did intentionally. Because we often quote it that way. If you give a little glass of water to a kid, in Jesus, in what? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Your acts of service that are just done for people are nice, but if that's all they are, they're just acts of service. What are we to do? We are to do things specifically in His name. It would be good for us sometime in serving our neighbors you're going to go rake leaves for the widow down the street. It would be good for us to say, you know, widow so-and-so, you know why I'm doing this? The reason I'm doing this isn't just because I want you to think I'm a good person. The reason I'm doing this is because of what Jesus did for me. As Christians, we must never be ashamed the name of Jesus. It needs to go with us everywhere. Let's close in a word of prayer. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the truth. Forgive us for the many times that we fail to live under its authority. To properly live it out. May we, your children, do so, we pray. In your name.
2: Would you stand
1: as we sing our closing song together? Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious, sweet. saved, that they may know, that they may hear. Lord, we pray, Lord, that we would be faithful to that message. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would use us, bring glory to yourself through our lives, which is an act of obedience to you as we go out and serve those around us. Lord, we pray that that would be accomplished, and that you would receive the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.